You know, as I go into this talk, I uh, never have used this space for a political push. I've never used this space to talk about politics at all. I've never used this space to do anything but lift up Jesus and to glorify him, to point us towards him, his kingdom, his reign, um, because he, he is our king. And we have a new president, but we don't have a new king. And um, today is different. Today is different, not that I'm going to talk about or endorse, but there is something happening in the world right now that as a church, we have an obligation to respond to in a biblical way. And we need, and we need to. We not only need to respond in a biblical way to the world, but we also have, we also have a command to respond to each other in the way Scripture tells us to. And Ephesians has been all about this, hasn't it? Ephesians has talked about, Paul's talked about two things primarily. Our identity, who we are in Christ, living that out, becoming who we are, sons and daughters and kings and queens, you know, set free from the, free from the world. Walk in this way, walk in love for the purpose of showing the world. And what's the next thing he's been talking about? Unity. He's been talking about unity, the importance, the command of the Lord to be unified as a body, as a church, to not act like the world is acting, but to act as Scripture commands us to act. Remember, these aren't my words. This is not like Antley's agenda. This is the agenda of the Lord. This is his Bible. We believe it can be trusted in all matters of salvation. What that means is that we can trust it when it comes to following Christ. What does it mean to follow Christ? How are we to live in the world? How are we to relate as a church? Okay, and so we're going to look at that a little today. This passage doesn't directly speak to it, but I'm going to make it. I'm going to bring it around. I'm not going to be inauthentic about it, but I'm going to direct us and remind us of what God's taught us so far in Ephesians. Okay, this is Ephesians. This is Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. Now this, I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ assuming that you have or sense that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and the true righteousness and holiness. Father, we ask that you come right now, that you would soften and open our hearts just to hear what your word says to us. We thank you. We pray that you would silence the enemy, any anger, any bitterness, any frustration that we feel. Lord, we pray that you would remove so that our hearts would be opened, our hearts would be enlightened by your spirit, that our minds would be renewed in your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I might say something that hurts people or is offensive, and that is not my intention, okay? If I do, come and talk to me about it. 
my desire is to preach the word and to preach the truth boldly in Christ. Um, I love doing that, but when we get into topics like this where there is a very great divide in this church, in this church about this election, my desire is not to offend anyone. My desire is to teach truth to both groups and to bring both groups together to experience the blessing of being a family, of being a family. And so, again, that's my heart. That's my desire as a church leader. And so, again, if this rubs some of you wrong, this is not my purpose. That's not my desire. I don't have an agenda except to put Christ forward for you to receive him, experience his freedom that comes, okay? So it begins with verse 17 and 18. Talking about, Paul talking about, okay, like uh, don't walk as the Gentiles do. Don't walk the way that they did. Don't, I mean, they, they, they're walking in futility of their minds. And now that word futility means that they are living in an emptiness with their hope in the present age. The hope in the present age. Not in the fullness of life that is to come. That's what futility. So this futility of their minds, they're causing them to operate in a way that they're finding their hope in the world, in the things of the world. And it leads to, what does it lead to? It's very clear that it leads to darkening. Their, their understanding is darkened of who God is. It says, it goes as far as to say that they're alienated from the life of God. Ignorant. Okay, why? Because their heart has been hardened. Their heart is calloused. Don't know better? They're apart from God? Why would we expect for there to be life or for them to behave in a way that honors God? So because their heart is hard, it's not been enlightened by the Spirit, people try to fulfill their life in these other things. All created for acceptance all created to experience love. Everyone's been created to experience approval and affection. And when they are not receiving those things from the Lord, they turn to the things of the world. That is very normal and natural. And again, we should not be surprised when we see the world doing those things because they are created by God for that. And when they don't experience that in him, they will go find it. They will go find their hope in the things of the world, hungry, for those things, desiring those things. But Paul tells us they have no eternal value. They have no eternal value. But they don't see the truth because their hearts have been hardened and their hearts have not, their minds have not been enlightened by the Spirit. We should be able to relate to this. We should, this should create empathy in us, okay? It should not create judgment or condemnation or I can't believe they're doing that or you better pull your bootstraps up or this or that. It should create empathy. What if someone tried to take away what you found your hope in? What gave you security? What made you feel loved? What if someone tried to come and take away your faith? What if someone could strip you of your faith? What if the powers in this world could take away from you the very thing that gives you life? What would you do? You'd be angry. You might riot. You might be vicious in fighting for it. You might be scared, sad, lonely, isolated. Right? Right? That's, that's how we would feel. That's is a, the normal response of people who have had life, love, joy, identity, 
taken from them. Whether it's in the world or it's in the church. But Paul says, Since, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt in its deceitful desires. Now, this is a theme that Paul preaches through the whole of his letters, okay? In Romans, and Corinthians, and Galatians, through Ephesians. The next section of Ephesians, this is what it starts with in chapter 5. For free, um, that uh, don't get drunk, don't get drunk on wine, but instead be drunk in the Spirit. And he contrasts these two different ways of life. In Galatians 5, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore. Don't submit. Don't go back to the yoke of slavery that you were in. Right? And he says, he says, you were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Okay, so he's like encouraging us. He's telling us, don't, you used to live this way. Now, this is not, this is the, 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 the tense of these ver- verbs is not imperative. Like, they're not commands to do this. What's happening is, remember, this book's about making bo- God big. What's happening is Paul saying, God has done this for you. You are this person, so stop acting like this person. Not, you're not jeopardizing your faith, but you're not living in freedom, okay? And so again, it's not this, I gotta go home and I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, because Jesus won't love me. No, no, Christ, God, Paul is trying to get us to see that when we practice, when we act like the world, we are absent from the freedom that Christ has died to give us. So Paul moves to the next slide and tells us then who we really are like. The next slide, the next few verses. Verse 23. Okay, so be renewed by the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and the true righteousness and holiness. So how does this happen for us? The Holy Spirit. We can't make this happen. God does this. God comes through the power of the spirit and he enlightens our minds. He, in contrast to the Gentiles who haven't had their minds enlightened, so they live with darkened hearts, we have had our minds enlightened, so we live with hearts that are different from the world. We naturally live as our hearts are enlightened, as our minds are renewed by the Spirit, as a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And Paul's reminding us, he's telling us, like, guys, come on, what are you doing? I got life, I freed you. And then he ends with this, like, you know, we're answering this question. Who do we think we are? Who was who Paul telling? What does God tell us? Who do we think we are? You know what he says in this verse? You're like God. You are like God. Who do you think? Who do we think we are? We're like God. We function like God. You know, there's a word that Melissa gave that I've never heard someone give in reference to who we are. She said, we are precious. Remember the other word she said? We are worthy. We are worthy? What are we worthy of? We are worried, worthy of the same things the Lord is worthy of because he lives in us. We are created in his image. And one day we will be held up and glorified with Christ, worthy of the accolades of what Christ has done in us. We are worthy. You are worthy of the blood that was spilled by Jesus Christ, or it wouldn't have been. If you were not a worthy 
treasure to the Father, if you were not precious, if you were not worthy to him, he would not have sacrificed what was most precious to him and truly worthy that he had known forever in unity and perfect relationship. He would not have sacrificed him for you if you were not worthy of it. I mean, that's pretty, that's unique, that's powerful. That should create a sense of identity and confidence in the Lord that, yeah, I'm like God. I am a new creation. I've been filled with the Spirit. I'm his son, I'm his daughter, and we go back through all those things. I've been renewed, and we've been renewed because our minds have been transformed. In 2 Corinthians, therefore, is anyone in Christ? He is a new creation, the old has passed away. The new has come, and the new in you is God. You are Christ. You not Christ. You're not the Christ. Okay. Don't be jumping on the cross later. Okay. You're not the Christ. You have Christ in you, alive in you, makes you worthy. Worthy. You know, Paul reminds the Ephesians, he reminds the Galatians, he reminds the Corinthians, he reminds the the Romans of this very issue, okay? Of, 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 Of reminding them, this is who you are, this is who you are. Don't act this way, this is who you are, right? Why would he have to do that? Because they would forget and they would stop start acting like who they're not. And I started thinking, man, that would be frustrating, wouldn't it? That would be very frustrating to go to these churches and see the same thing again and again and again. Probably make him a little angry, right? And I started thinking, what, what if Paul came and looked at the American church today? What if Paul came and took a look at RCC? Would he have to remind us of this? Would he have to, what would he say to us? What would he have seen this past week? What would he have needed to remind us as you read the articles on the web, as you looked at our Facebook posts, our tweets, what would he say? What would he say if he was here today? Well, the good news is Christ is here today in each of us through the power of the Spirit. And I think he would say, I think he's saying, RCC, who do you, who do you think you are? Why are you acting like the world? Gloating? Placing our hope in the government, lashing out against your brother, your sister in Christ, adding to the division between the church and the world, adding to the division that we struggle with as the church. It's great to stand with. It's great to stand with people in the world, but not at the expense of division and slander. And offending the Lord with our words is no. Paul would say no. Guys, what what are you doing? You've been freed from that. There there, there is no hostility anymore that we should feel towards each other. Paul, Paul told us this earlier. Remember what first week we taught on? We're a family. We're not an institution. We're a family. We are saints. We are Christians. We are set apart. We have been called by God, chosen by God, separated from the world. New, to act differently. That's what the world needs to see in the church, in our unity. And then the second week, we talked about having this knowledge of him, this intimacy that, that, that transforms everything about the way we speak. 
And then week four was the bomb about unity, right? He preached peace to you who are far off. He reconciled us with his blood to Christ. He reconciled us with his body to each other. And then he commanded us to reconcile as a church when they come together, like communion at the cross. And then he went on to say, when you do this, when you reconcile, you become a temple that houses my power and my beauty and my love for the world to see. But you are also built up, that you are blocked in that temple and have identity that's in the church, come from being in the church. Right? And so, and then, you know, two weeks ago, I did the same thing. He says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling, Ephesus, churches in America, walk in a way. Walk, he says, with humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And I said, who are we? Who do we think we are? We are a family that is welded together, strengthened in Jesus Christ. That's who we are. The central message of this book, identity, our identity, and our identity as a church. And it's about unity. That's who we are. Paul, I think, would say, River City Church. And maybe church in America. Like, why are you so afraid Why are you so angry? Why are you so worried, so divided? Why are you acting like your old self? Why are you putting your hope in the same things that the world is putting their hope in? Put off your old self. Let's put off our old self and put on our new self, created in the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness, God says, act like me. You are like me. Act like me. Act like I act. You know, I've read a truckload, more than I've ever read about any subject, I promise you. I've read every article I could find on the web, Christian sites, secular sites, from Christian leaders, people on both sides of this issue, and and the, the thing that sticks out the most is disunity. The thing that comes out from every party, every group, every part of this situation is disunity. There's fear, and as a result of the disunity, there's fear, there's anger, there's judgment, there's pride, there's religion, there's violence in the world and in the church. That's happening in the world and in the church. We are called to be the opposites. We are called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Okay, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. This is a very familiar verse to some of you. It's it's so clear about our identity and what we're called to in a situation that we face right now in our culture and in the church. Paul says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We've heard that before, right? Familiar, yeah, okay. That's very familiar. We just talked about it, okay? The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. Boom, Paul's doing it again, right? All this is from God, it's from the Holy Spirit, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the ministry we're called to as the church, in the church and outside of the church, a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, 
God was reconciling the world to himself. What's God saying? Look at me. You're like me. Look at what I've done. You are to do the same. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to this message of rest, entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. He's trusting to us this message, this central message of what God has done for us through Christ. He has reconciled us, made us right with God, right? And so, therefore, who are we? We're ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. And Paul goes on to say, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for the sake he has made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God to each other in the world. What an opportunity we're in right now, right? To be salt and to be light and to unify and to love. In the midst of disagreeing with people, in the midst of feeling hurt and attacked, isolated and lonely, what an opportunity as we hook ourselves into Jesus Christ, as we hook ourselves into our new identity. What do we have to fear? What are we worried about? What are we angry about? There's a new government, there's a new president, but Christ is still my king. And I don't want to diminish, I don't want to diminish the importance of politics and being involved in politics and having a voice in politics, which many people have died for to give us, right? And so I'm not diminishing that, but I'm trying to create a biblical worldview that Christians are made to have. What an opportunity. And this is what's so amazing about River City Church, right? Is we have like 50% of people on one side, right? And we have 50% of our church on the other side, we, I'll tell you this, most churches in America don't have that. They have like 95% of everyone who's on one side and 5% of people that are on the other because other churches collect people that believe and think the same thing that they do. But we've always said there is strength and diversity. We have strength and diversity. And so we have this incredible opportunity in the midst of a very diverse church to love each other unlike other churches don't have to display that is one of the calls Christ has uniquely called us to in this culture, that we are diverse and he's called us to unify. It's more difficult, but we are a new creation. We are a new church that God has planted in Jacksonville to show and reflect his love. You know, I'll tell you this. I've talked to people, a lot of people on both sides of this in our church, okay? And I will tell you this about both groups. They both love Jesus. They both are filled with the Spirit. They both are Bible-believing they both want to honor God. They love the poor. Both of these groups, okay? And both of these groups prayed about, sought the Lord's direction, and voted accordingly, right? That's, that's what we want. We cultivate an environment where people are led by the Spirit. Whenever we meet people that disagree with us, let's love Let's extend, you know, that, that voted differently than us. Let's extend humility and assume, assume the best of them. Their intentions were the best. Their heart was the best. Their love for Christ drove them, filled with the Spirit. Let's assume that about each other. Let's assume that, you know, let's be humble. Let's extend grace. The second thing I've been reading a lot about is that people are saying that the evangelical church, which we're included in, even though we're charismatic, okay, that the evangelical church um, had a big part 
in electing the official that was elected. Okay? And to make it worse, to make it worse, we have prominent church leaders saying that the winning candidate was God's candidate. Okay? Which, even if it was true, is jacked up. It's so jacked up. It's so wrong. It's an abuse of power. It's manipulating. It creates division within the church. It creates division outside of the church. It creates division in the world, and it creates division between us and the world. I mean, think about it. If God's vote was with the candidate that won, and you didn't vote for that candidate, oh, thanks, I voted for the devil. That's encouraging. And the world said, oh, I voted for the devil as well. This only makes me feel like I already feel about the church. Thank you very much, church leaders. Thank you very much, because... People who already feel like God is irrelevant in today's culture, people who already feel like the church judges them, the church condemns them, people who already feel like they don't fit or belong in the church, blame us. They are blaming us for putting someone in office who is going to hurt them, who is going to devalue them, who is going to block them from freedom or take away from them their freedom, send them into oppressive environments, that's what culture is thinking right now, and it's being encouraged. We are throwing gasoline on it when we have this divisive, judgmental, condemning spirit. And Paul says to us, church, stop acting like the world. Stop fearing, the, fearing people that you don't know, that you are not pursuing, that you're not moving towards. Stop. Christ has killed hostility on the cross, he has moved so generously towards us. We have offended him so much. We have killed him. And he went to the cross and killed hostility so we can be reconciled to each other. And we have no excuse, is what Paul says. We can be reconciled to each other, and we can even move towards the role, in the role of reconciling the world to Christ. And he says, you have been entrusted with this message. This is my ministry. Act like me. Behave like me. The new creation that you are, my mini-me, my reflection of me on the earth. You are the visible expression of the invisible God. You have been set free from sin so that you can bring freedom to other people. Like Brian was saying last week, you are a child of the king. You're in the courts of the king. You know, we need to behave like that in the freedom that Christ has given us. You know, in the Bible, when you look, oh, snap, I'm out of time. In the Bible, when you look, you see Jesus moving towards people that had radical lifestyles that opposed the gospel that he was bringing, right? I mean, he, he moved towards the most marginalized in the culture, the people who had been kicked out of the culture. He moved towards them. He loved them. Okay, women in prostitution, sick people who had been kicked out that no one would touch. Okay, he, 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 he hang out with drunkards and so much that he was called and accused of being a drunk. Okay, and, and then he also, who else did he move towards? Powerful people, tax collectors, zealots, people who were oppressing people, people who had power. He moved towards them as well. And loved them. He loved all of these groups. And what was interesting is they followed him as a result of his love. Why aren't people coming to the church? Well, A, they feel condemned by us. 
all right? B, because we, they probably don't feel loved by us. They probably don't feel loved by us. Jesus saw everyone. Everyone is God's child. Not just believers. He saw everyone as created in the identity of Christ. He saw the new self in everyone. He saw into their hearts who God created them to be, not children whose minds were confused, whose hearts had been darkened, ignorant of God, living away from God. That's not who he saw. He saw their heart as the Father saw their heart, created in his image, a reflection of who God is, the Father is. And he, as he moved alongside of them, listened, cared for them, loved them, they followed him, not because of his religion, but because of his love. That's all it takes, folks. The world, in the wake of this election, people are angry, people are frustrated, and people are furious on both sides. We had, we had people who didn't come to church today who called me and said, I'm not coming to church because I, I feel like I'll be judged. I won't ha- I'll have a hard time to connect. I'm worried. I'm, I just don't want to do it. That's sad. I mean, that, because this is, you know, they, we need to experience, the worship we experience today is by no accident. And that's what we all need. That's what, one of the things that unifies us is we worship the same creator. But in the wake of this election, people are angry, they're frustrated, and they're furious. But underneath that, on both sides, they're scared, we're hurt, we're lonely, we feel weak, powerless, and we feel worried. What, what in the world could happen? What in the world has happened? And like Christ, we are to move towards them. We are to move towards each other. We are to love. We are to build relationship. We are to listen and listen and listen. We are to extend more grace than advice. We are to seek to understand, not defend. We don't have to defend the truth. We don't have to defend what we believe. The Spirit of God. You know, God... At River City Church, we say, we're going to bring everybody into orbit around the Spirit. We're going to bring everybody into orbit around Jesus, regardless of what you believe, and trust the Holy Spirit to lead them to the Father as we love people. The kingdom of God is within you. Who do you think you are? Who do we think we are? We are like God. Everyone you talk to and approach, you bring into orbit around Jesus Christ. Everyone you talk to, everyone you love, everyone you pursue, you bring them into orbit around Christ in you because you are a new creation and you're like God. That's what Jesus did when he walked the earth. And that's what Jesus did with you. And it's what Jesus calls us to do, first with each other and then with the world. Chapter four, verse 17. Who do we think we are? We're like God. And he has called us to, like him, love one another and love the world, especially those who have been marginalized. We are like God. That's who we are. And Paul would say, let's begin to act like it. Let's stand.